everybody. So I think like most of you, the year is ending. We're going into this new year, and I started reflecting. And the thing that I was really reflecting on was mission. Okay? Uh, we have this mission. We've been talking about it a lot in this church, this mission for our church to know Jesus and make him known. And in there, we've talked about, well, what is the mission for your family, for yourself, for your career, for your children, whatever this is. And every time I think of mission, right, it's just me being me. I'm always brought back to the military analogy, right? Somebody gets a mission. And all of a sudden, these folks are just 30 minutes, bags are packed, they're on the plane, ripped out of their family, away from their friends, and they're brought together. Shoulder to shoulder, they eat, they breathe, they sleep together because they're on mission. They're trying to accomplish something. And what are they doing? Well, they're going to do this mission thing. But they have this thing they do first. They're together, and they gather all the information they can. And I just love this. They do this cool thing. They get a building like this, and they get rid of all the chairs. And they say, well, hey, like, we're going into this building. So you know what we'll do? We'll rebuild that building right here. And for the next 30 days, 60 days, whatever, we're just 10 times a day, we're going to run through that building. We're going to do exactly what our mission is, to retrieve whatever it is, to do what we, ever, we need to do. And we're going to see what happens if something goes wrong, if this guy falls down, if something's in the wrong spot, if this door is locked. And I was reflecting on this and just this process that I think is so amazing and makes the mission successful. And it started to occur to me that, you know, this is the thing that really makes mission work. And that thing is training, right? Mission is really all about the training. Because if you see, right, I'm talking about mission, if you are not training, you're not on a mission. If you're not training, you're not on a mission. Now, it makes sense, right? I know some of you are asking this. It makes sense that we choose our mission first, like knowing Jesus and making him known, like any one of the resolutions that we're going to make in the new year, right? Whether it's to run 10 miles or read 10 books or whatever that happens to be, we're going to choose that goal, that mission, and start training for it. But I want to switch that up a little bit this morning and sort of throw things on their head. And I want to ask a slightly different question. Well, not really a question, a statement. So let's go with this this morning. Tell me what you're training for, and I'll tell you what your mission actually is. Tell me what you're training for, and I'll tell you what your mission actually is. Now, to me, that has a lot more teeth because it's easy. And right, I'm a goal-oriented person. Like, we can pick goals. We can pick mission. Like, we go after this. But sometimes I end up not training for the mission I'm trying to accomplish. I get distracted. I go off that path. And I think if we all think of that, we've picked missions. We've picked goals that we're going after, and we can sort of get distracted. And we may not actually be training for the mission that we are on. So this training thing is really important. And for the Christian, that's in our DNA as well. So if, you know, you read Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says this. He says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So you see, Paul had a mission, a mission that was set by Christ himself, right? The obvious mission to make disciples, and he had this mission to, to make disciples, to defend the faith, to maintain and proclaim the truth of the gospel, to protect against heresy. 
And he was relentlessly training for it. He was pursuing it. He was willing to discipline himself to the extreme in order to stay on that mission and be prepared to accomplish his goal, right? He says it, right? I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, right? So once that mission was set by Christ, it dictated the way that Paul trained, not aimlessly, not as a boxer beating the air, but as someone who was truly on mission, So I want to ask this question as we end this year and go into the next. As a church, individually, as families, what are you training for? What are you training for? And more importantly, you know, let's take it down a level. How do you even know what you're training for? Maybe you don't feel like you are training for something, or you don't have an answer to that right off the bat. Are you training for anything at all? Are you training someone Friends, family members, community life group members, your children, colleagues, right? So this is what I want to talk about this morning. And to do that, I'm going to share some tools with you guys. And those tools are going to go from, uh, come from someone I have a deep appreciation for. Uh, So if you're like me, you got up on Christmas morning. Kids, you can relate to this, right? You were all up on Christmas morning, 3 a.m. Yeah? Okay. Presents under the tree wrapping paper, and you got very excited because as you pulled that first bow back, you found books. Um, So these are a couple books. This is actually comes from, right, you want to make it even more exciting? Just imagine if you pulled that paper back and the first word you saw was curriculum, (laughs) right? So this is actually the curriculum training set for this book called Forensic Faith, a fellow named J. Warner Wallace, who I have a lot of respect for. Really interesting guy, uh, a police officer and homicide detective, a cold case worker out in California, uh, who also happened to be a militant and aggressive atheist. Until he spent 75 cents, I believe it was 75 cents on a Bible because he didn't want to waste his money on lies, um, and applied all his training as a detective, and guess what happened? He became a Christian. And he writes these books, and he's all about teaching and training the church to do a better job um, at the things that we do best. Uh, So he is one of my favorite. I recommend him all. He has a couple other books, and I'm going to share resources with you guys electronically after the service uh, later today or tomorrow, so there'll be some things you all can dig into. But I am going to take one chapter, one tool from his book, Forensic Faith, uh, to sort of work through this diagnostic of, hey, how can we tell what we're training for? And also, how can we train really well? Um, And this is really one of the things I love about him because he loves teaching, right? I mean, we all love teaching. We have great teachers here, and we've had great teachers up here. If you're like me, you have this podcast list. I scrolled through it yesterday. I think I have like 60 unlistened-to podcasts. Um, Great sermons, great teachers. We have all this great teaching. You know, but he went through some experiences, and, you know, he said, well, this teaching thing, like, it's fantastic. It's building us up, but there's some things that aren't working, so let's— Stop teaching and start training. Let's start taking what we have and actually put it into practice. So that's where I want to go today, and we're going to work through that just using the acronym of the word TRAIN. But before I do that, I have to take a really quick aside, and I have to introduce you to another variant of me, right? So hopefully you guys know me at least a little bit, right? If not, hi, I'm Rob Green. I'm an elder here at Covenant. Um, Let me introduce you to another version of me. So I'm going to step into my old self for a second. Um, And you can shrink me down to about here. And then Dave can put up the picture. This is sixth grade, little Robbie Green. 
Thank you. Wow, I knew I was handsome, but come on. Right? Um, <laughs> so this is me. If you want to get a good guess, I'm about a foot shorter than I am right now. Um, yeah, I'm about 5'10". I've been 5'10 since ninth grade, if you were wondering. Um, I weigh about 160 pounds. Rob Green weighs about 160 pounds. Robbie Green weighs about 175 pounds. Okay? Um, so that was me. Glasses, I was very cool. Check out the haircut. Um, if that doesn't convince you, uh, that will. <laughs> right? Because those swishy pants, purple, it was a winner then and it is now too. Um, you know, the Steelers black and gold on top. Uh, someone mentioned that apparently I'm cheering for both the Steelers and the Vikings now. Right, so this was me in sixth grade, um, and in about sixth grade, I decided I wanted to do some things. I wanted to, I wanted to get athletic. I wanted to start wrestling, and I started wrestling. I went to practice, and it was tough, right? So this was me. The couple first couple of years were rough. I'd go to practice, and we'd warm up, and we'd learn a couple things, and I'd wrestle with these other kids. Some of them who I don't know. We were in sixth grade. They had already been wrestling for like 18 years. And um, so we'd go from like teaching these moves by our coach, like, okay, now go wrestle each other and practice this, right? And we do this live wrestling. And basically, I spent the first year of my wrestling life in one of two positions. I was either face down on the mat with someone on top of me, or I was face up on the mat being pinned with somebody on top of me. Okay? So this was sort of rough. And I don't know if you guys have known any wrestlers, right? When you're not doing that well or you're not that good, you're the guy that walks away whose face is red and has matte burn. Yes, there is such thing as matte burn, right, all over your body. And it's just not the greatest experience. But for some reason, you continue to come back, (laughs) right? You just come back and you come back and you practice and you practice. And this training process changes you. So fast forward a little bit, and we'll take you a couple years. So we'll go on. I'll talk a little about ninth grade me. So like I said... 5'10", I, I swear to you, honest truth, I have not grown since ninth grade, okay? Um, I'm 160 pounds now. In ninth grade, I was 137 pounds. So if you want to meet that, Rob, um, you just take my fo- picture, go in Photoshop, and turn me into a bobblehead. That's exactly what I looked like, okay? I was bobblehead Rob, okay? Um, but this practice, right, a mix of luck becoming a teenager, right? And this practice really changed me. And it changed me physically, it changed me mentally, and it changed me wrestling as well. So all of a sudden, I wasn't the one always on my back. I wasn't the one always face down on the mat. Sometimes I was putting other people in that position. Sometimes I wasn't leaving practice covered in rug burn. Uh, The other members of my team were leaving in rug burn, right? Um, So, I mean, this was was a tough process. It really changed, and the reason it happened was because... I wanted it. I was on a mission to be an athlete, to be a wrestler. And I was committed to that. To to give you another idea of that, and kids, I know you're in here, so take this as an example of how not to train for athletics, okay? If you're going to play sports, don't do this. Uh, The summer when I had off, I knew I had to go back to practice. I had to be ready and stuff like this. So what did I do? I'd wake up, I'd eat breakfast, I'd go for a three-mile run. And then I'd lift, and then I'd eat lunch. And then I'd go for a three-mile run. And then I'd lift again. And I'd do this basically seven days a week if I could. Uh, and by the way, I made sure I ate about 1,200 calories a day because I was going to have to make weight in the fall. Okay? Like I said, not healthy. But I was on mission. I was going to be a wrestler, and I was going to make weight. Right? I was dedicated to this. And the question becomes, well, hey, none of that, 
by the way, I did go from those first couple of seasons, I was like 1 and 15. I got up to 12 and 2 by the time, right? I, I quit wrestling. So I improved over time too. But how do you do this? Well, it, it was all about the training, right? I trained with a mission purpose. I wanted to win. I wanted to become a wrestler. I trained with a deadline. I had every meet. I had every practice. I had the season that would start. And I trained with a team, a team that at the beginning and along the way, they challenged me, like, right? Like, I mean, they beat me up a little, right? Face on the mat there, they were happy to pin me, okay? But they were also the ones that were happy to teach me how not to get pinned. They were the ones that taught me how to avoid getting in that position. They were the ones that picked me up and built me back up so that I got better. So with this in mind, what I want to do is I want to take this acronym TRAIN, and I want to use it as a tool. And we're going to do it two ways. Um, The first one we're going to do sort of quickly. We're going to do it as a diagnostic first to say, hey, what are you training for in your life? Maybe you don't know what you're training for. Well, here's a quick way to actually try and figure that out. Then we're going to go back and revisit it. And we're going to say, let's make this real and give it a good application for us in the church here. So train, if we go through this acronym, the first letter here is TEST, which means we need to test. We need to challenge each other to find our weaknesses. So where in your life do you have any tests? Do you test yourself or what are you testing yourself about? Do you test your family members, other folks in your community life group? When I wrestled, it was obvious, right? We were tested at live wrestling and practice, right? That exposed every weakness and flaw I had. As I got older, we had wrestle-offs to see who would actually get to wrestle in the meet. That exposed every flaw you had because it was, you know, folks going up against each other saying, I want to win. And it gave me an opportunity to see where I was lacking. So is there any place in your life you're testing yourself? After you test yourself, you also have to be willing to require more from yourself. So, and this is the question, the diagnostic here is, where do you keep requiring more of yourself? Where are you adding one more blog post reading, one more book, one more five-minute browse on this? Um, There's one wrestler I will never forget. His name was Rob Black. He was a couple years ahead of me. Um, Not only was he good, but we had the same name, Rob, and both our last names were Kellers, right? Black and green. So, you know, it's a thing. Um, But, thank you. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Rob wanted to be a great wrestler. So you know what Rob did? He required a little more of himself. He didn't just go to our practices, our two-hour practices, you know, where after two hours you'd lose four or five pounds of water weight. He would run three miles before practice and three miles plus uh, stairs in the stadium after practice. Why? Because he knew that if he wanted to be better, if he wanted to be the best, he had to train more. He had to be in better shape. He had to be healthier. He had to be more athletic to compete at that level. So he was willing to require more. So if you test and you find your weaknesses and you require more of yourself, then you have to arm yourself. In our context, it's going to be learn the truth and know how to articulate it, right? And the diagnostic here is where are you reading, watching, and following things, okay? Whatever area of life. I know you all have these areas. There's pet topics and things you do. But the real diagnostic is this. What things are you listening to that you disagree with? What things are you watching that you disagree with? In what realm of ideas and thought are you actually reading stuff that challenges you on your own opinions and what you believe? Because you have to be exposed to this. You know, when when I wrestled... It wasn't just this teaching of the moves that arm me, right? I had cauliflower, or uh, I didn't have cauliflower ear. I had headgear because, as you can see, these are not small, okay? Um, and I don't know if you know this, but if you take an ear and repeatedly beat it against something like a mat, 
for years and years, you get this condition called cauliflower ear, which is exactly what it sounds like. It looks like your ear turns into cauliflower. So we wore headgear to protect it, right? We had knee pads and knee braces, like the things we wore to protect ourselves. That wasn't all we did, though. We didn't just have the moves and this and the practice. We also knew our opponent. We knew who we were dealing with. We knew who they, what school they were from, how many times they had won, who they wrestled, what they were good at, what they were bad at, what had worked against them, what hadn't. And we brought that together to just, you know, to fully arm ourselves before getting involved, which is the next. It's the I. You have to get involved. So where are you getting involved? Right? A good diagnostic for this is actually the last holiday we just had, Christmas. I'm guessing many of you had a Christmas dinner of some sort. And I'm guessing all of you at some point or someone in your family brought up that notorious topic. Right? So what is the topic you're notorious for bringing up all the time? You love talking about it because you know both sides and you want to convince people what's going on and the truth of this. Right? I mean, the getting involved, to be honest with you, the easiest way to get involved in the wrestling analogy is we had meets, we had practices, we had a calendared event we had to schedule for. So what are you getting involved with? And the last thing is nurture. Right? Tend to your wounds and the wounds of others. So this is a great thing to see. Who are you in fellowship with? Who is actually nurturing you? Who are the folks in your life that build you up when you're down, that help you lick your wounds, but also are able to point out your weaknesses and flaws and build you up to make you better? Okay, so where are you receiving that nurturing? Who in your life is nurturing you? And what are you doing together? Right? I mean, when we wrestled, we had our teammates. We were together as a team. But I think the most powerful illustration from wrestling was actually after the match. Because just like in every other sport, at the end of the match, you walked to the line and you put your foot back on the line and you shook hands. Because, you know, maybe you won and the other guy needed a little nurturing. Losing is not fun. Sometimes you get beat up. Maybe it wasn't even a loss. Maybe it was a draw. But it can be brutal and they need a little love in the same way back. But either way, we had complete respect and dignity and gentleness for each other that we wanted to maintain. All right? So we have this training idea. So let's make it real, right? Let's make it real for all of us here um, and talk about it in the context of our community life groups. Most of you know we have our community life groups, right? This is a core structure of the church. This is where a place for you to be known and to be in fellowship. And they are going to get a breath of energy in this new year as we bring our new community life pastor, Nick Gillespie, on board. So we have a lot going on in our community life groups. And these groups are meant to gather, share, and bless. And we're doing pretty good, right? Like, we're good at gathering. I like you, okay? Like, most of us like our home group, yeah, our community life groups. We like to do life side by side. We're sharing and we're building up each other. There's mentorship and discipleship happening. There's even blessing happening, right? Our community life groups have picked teachers, the pregnancy center, right? Pick your audience and are focusing on them and blessing them, are showing them the love of Christ, so let's talk about this. You gather, you share, and you bless. And the whole point of this blessing is building up this relationship and everything. And one of these folks you're blessing comes to you eventually. You build up this relationship over time, and you know, they're feeling more comfortable. And they say, you know what? You know, I know you guys are Christians. You guys are from Covenant. You're from the church. You're showing us the love of Christ. That's great. So but just tell me, why do you believe it? And you're being nice to me. What makes you different than Rotary or Kiwanis? So why do you believe it? 
Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Rotary, right? Like, what makes you any different than some other service organization that's just trying to be nice? You can think about that for a second. How would you answer that? Most folks, when they answer that, they'll fall into one of four categories. And they're all good in their own rights, right? One is, you know, I was raised in the church. My parents were Christians. Like, this is what we do. Like, we love and we bless because of Jesus. Uh, Category two is, I've had some experience, and this experience, it just convinced me. The Holy Spirit confirmed me, and I'm showing you the love of Christ, and, you know, you're telling your story, and it's great. Three is, I was changed by Jesus, right? The, I was a, insert your sin of choice, and I am no longer, okay? Jesus changed me. And four is, oh, God called me to believe. Like, the Bible is just true. And those are great answers. They have a lot of meat, and they have good stuff, and they tell your story. But there's two problems with those answers. Right? The first problem is this. So I've been, I've been lucky enough in my career to be a lot, around a lot of folks um, of different cultures and different countries who practice a lot of different religions. Those answers I just gave you, every religious group can say the same thing. Hindus are changed. Allah cures alcoholics and turns people into the kindest folks you've ever met. Mormon scriptures were confirmed to them by the Spirit. Right? So they're good answers. They're not bad answers. They are great answers. And they are part of our story. But they're lacking some little piece. And that little piece is this, and it's what differentiates Christianity is that they don't answer the next question that comes, the second question, the third question, the fourth question, the fifth question, the questions that sound more like this. Well, that's great. That's great. But why do you even believe there's a God? Uh, That's great, but why do you trust the Bible? That thing is dusty. There's dozens of translations. I heard some of them were pretty screwed up. And what about that Gospel of Thomas thing? Uh, why would God send people to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus? If God's all-loving and all-powerful, why is there so much evil and pain and suffering in the world? If God's the creator of everything, well, your logic is pretty bad, because then who created God? Why would a loving God command the total destruction of Israel's enemies, children, livestock, women, children, all this? Right? Now, I'm guessing that most of you, and like myself, I ask you for a question now, like, I can't answer that. I can't even answer all those questions right now, okay? So don't quiz me. (laughs) But the question becomes, how can we as a church, as a community, as our community life groups, be training for this, right, as we go through this blessing to actually engage the community? And we can use this same tool, this training acronym, Right? So the first one, like we said before, is test. How could you have tested this? Well, has your community life group ever thought about what that conversation with the folks you're blessing would look like? What questions they might ask? What things they may be wondering about you? I can tell you right now, I'm going to make that list of questions I just asked you available. That's from Jay Warner Wallace as well. It's a 21-minute readiness test. Their suggestion is to take it, write it on a piece of paper, and give yourself 21 minutes three minutes per question, and see if you can answer it. Why? Three minutes, right? People start to sort of tune you out after three minutes. You want to have it brief and concise and short and targeted. 
and you want to know if you can answer it, right? If you try to answer those seven questions, it's okay if you can't answer them because it's going to show you that you can't. It's going to show you where you're lacking, right? And, you know, maybe you start testing each other like this in your community life group. Maybe we're training our kids and we're worried about some of these objections and we start asking them these questions after we've asked them to ourselves. Maybe we start asking each other these questions in the halls here, right? So you know where you're sort of lacking. You're like, man, like, okay, so this is not fun. I don't like these questions and I don't like this sermon. So (laughs) what do I do? Well, the next step is to require more, right? Require more from each other than we expect that we can handle. Right? It feels overwhelming. These questions are big questions. Right? They, are, they sound like really hard, really deep, difficult questions. Right? So the question becomes, how can we do this? And I know most of you are sitting there thinking, I have enough in my life already. He is asking me to do yet one more thing. Right? The truth of the matter is, we often add one more thing, and we've all spent tons of time and plan to on the new year on our careers, our professional goals, our fitness goals, our hobbies. So the question is, can you require just a little bit more of something as important as what you believe? Right? So my suggestion is to take the advice of U.S. Army Chief of Staff uh, Creighton Abrams. I love his quote, when eating an elephant, take one bite at a time. Right? So just a little at a time. Okay? You don't need a Ph.D. You don't need a certificate. You don't need a degree. You don't need to memorize this book. You don't even need to buy these. You need Google, and you need a couple minutes. Maybe you're willing to give three minutes this week, maybe ten next week, just to start training for what you believe is coming. Right? Because remember, you're on mission, mission with your family, with your community life group, with the church to know Jesus and make him known. You know what's coming. Are you preparing for what's coming next? Right? So, and that's a challenge in the new year. It's going to come and go. The question is, how will you spend it? Can you do this five minutes? Could you read one chapter of a book instead of 100 Facebook posts? One night instead of binge-watching Netflix, which I love, by the way. Can you watch... (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, Could you watch one debate on YouTube or Right Now Media about what's actually going on? You know, uh, could you read one chapter? A great example, right? Christmas present number two. Again, thanks, Mom and Dad. (laughs) Keeping Your Kids on God's Side by Natasha Crane. Uh, Natasha Crane is a really, really interesting woman. She blogs at ChristianMomThoughts.com. And before all the dads and men close their ears, half of her readers are men, including myself. So she's ended up writing this great book. Why? Well, she was an admittedly unexamined, untested Christian. And she knew that faith would matter to her kids. And she started asking these questions and realized she could answer none of them. And she didn't want her kids' first exposure to, be, to these questions to be from someone else. So she started asking the questions, and she started writing about them in blog posts. And eventually, they turned into about, I think, three books now. Right? But this book, check this out. Those hard questions I asked you, this actually has 40 of them. And they're broken down into about three pages each. Concise. It tells you both sides of the argument, what's good, what's bad, and what's difficult. Could you read one of those a week? Maybe read one with your family once a week. Okay? So it's small things. It's not, it's not going crazy. It's the small things. Okay? So what will that commitment be? How will you require more of yourself? 
And once you're willing to do that, once you're really willing to require that more of yourself, the next thing you have to do is arm yourself with the truth and how to actually articulate it. We have the truth, and I know you guys get the truth. You get it through biblical teaching here, through sermons, through podcasts, through readings. I know you guys are growing up in the truth, the historical truth and the biblical truth of Christianity. But here is the extra little piece. Those things are awesome, and they're great to know, and they build us up. But do you know how the other side is breaking them down? what arguments they're holding against those. Have you heard of folks like Bart Ehrman and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens? Have you heard their arguments? You might want to look into them because they're the arguments that the reporters are using when they take on Christianity. They're the arguments that the teachers in your kids' classrooms are reading before they talk to your kids. If someone disagrees with Christianity, these are the arguments they're relying on. The good thing about this is they have a lot of resources. Well, so do we. I've given you two authors here, right? You don't even need the books. Coldcasechristianity.com and ChristianMomThoughts.com. They both blog directly about arguments that these people make and how to defend them and how to engage them and how to understand them so that when you hear them, when your kids hear them, when your friends hear them, you don't have to be shaken and you actually have a response. Right? Because this is actually really important. This arming yourself is the equivalent of being inoculated, of being immunized, right? Nobody wants to have polio or measles, right? These are deadly diseases. So what do we do? We expose ourselves to these little bits of them because it allows our immune system to protect our bodies from the disease in the long run. Well, this is the same thing. I want, in the new year, I want my kids to hear these objections from me at as young an age as possible so that the first time they hear them, it's not in the classroom. I want to be able to discuss these with my wife and my friends. I want to be prepared for when these questions come and they show up so that we have a good response and we're ready and not just shaken to our core. I mean, I can tell you in my own life, the first time my faith was challenged was in sixth grade. My history teacher pointed out a contradiction in the Bible in front of the whole class. If I didn't have the training from my mom and my dad and my church at the time, I probably would have put that back in the file and put it under something like, this is why Christianity's wrong, right? Or why the Bible's wrong, or why I'm not going to be a Christian in 10 years. Instead, and this is not a boastful thing, right? This is just a result of what happened. I showed up the next day with this nice glittery purple Bible telling my history teacher why he was wrong. And you know, he couldn't respond to me. So this is important. It's important that we know how to talk about the argument on both sides and how to engage. So you're armed, and I know this feels like it overlaps a little bit, but the next thing to do is involve yourself. This is the easiest part of this whole thing. You want to get involved in wrestling? It's a match. Here you go. Put it on your calendar. Have someone you want to talk to? Schedule a lunch. Someone you've always wanted to start this conversation with? Schedule coffee. Start teaching a class. Set up one night a week where you and your family get together and talk about one question for 20 minutes. Or maybe we have community life groups in here that are focused on blessing some great groups, and a lot of them contain Muslims and Hindus and atheists and all these folks. Is your community life group ready to invite them into your group to share their beliefs and why you're wrong? 
Are you willing to have that conversation and invite them into your home and into your fellowship and have that respectful and kind discourse to see what happens and where it goes? And it may go great. You know, these things take a long time, and the Bible says it really clearly. One plants, another waters, another sows. Maybe you have great, great involvement. People become Christians. Maybe they go from hating God to disliking him less. You don't know what's going to happen in those conversations. But they may also go the other way, just so you know. You can't know everything. You won't know everything. And you may be shaken. The questions they ask you, the points they make, may be harder for you to take. That may shake your faith. And what you need then is this. This family, your community life group, that fellowship, someone there to nurture you, to bring you back to health, to help you work through those arguments and those problems. Right? That's as much as a you know, community life group, an email to the elders, whatever that happens to be, to find somebody to help nurture you back. But we also have to remember the other side of this, right? So if your faith could be shaken the same way, the people you're getting involved with, the same thing could happen to them, right? The, the classic verse from the Bible for apologetics and this whole thing is from Second Peter, right? It's the one we quote all the time. Uh, and it starts with this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's all that anybody ever reads but it keeps going, right? Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, facts are easy. Gaining this knowledge, spouting it off to somebody, talking at somebody, that's easy. You know what's hard? Having loving conversation of talking to a friend or a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or an aunt or an uncle who's an unbeliever, and all you want to do is because you have the truth and you love the truth and you love Christ so much, you want them to understand and you want them to know. But it is slow, and you have to remember to be kind and to be patient and to pray and treat them with the respect that they deserve. That is the hard part. So you have to nurture not only each other, but you have to nurture the people you're reaching out to. So we have this tool, this train, this test require arm involved in nurture that we can use to decipher our mission and to help us train as we're on mission. So in the new year, I will leave you with this question, right? What are you training for? What's your family training for? What's your community life group training for? Perhaps there's folks you've wanted to reach out for years. I challenge you to set a date, make a calendar event, invite someone to your home group. Perhaps your community life group is gathering, sharing, and blessing. But are you really engaging with those you're blessing? Are you ready to answer the questions they have? Are you ready to have those conversations? As we enter the new year, my goal, my mission with you is to know Jesus and make him known. But here as an elder of this church, my mission, right, as an elder, as a father, as a husband, is to be trained and to train my family and to, to pray, make sure that you all have the correct training and equipment so that as we spread this message, as we spread the gospel of Christ, we're ready to show the truth and love to all those around us. And we are well prepared and we honor Christ well. So as we go into the new year, let's do this. Let's train and let's train well. 
And it's my hope that all of you will join me in training in the new year. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the good things you've given us. Thank you for this year and the year to come. Thank you for our family and friends and for all those we're in contact with. Help us to be obedient sons and daughters, to be on mission for you, and to spread your love and kindness and truth to all who come in touch with us. In your name, amen.